Hello, I'm Simon Talbot. And I'm Wendy Dean. And this is Moral Matters. When we have talks about moral injury, we're very, very often asked about whether one of the solutions to systemic issues we're facing as physicians is to form a union. So our guest today is Joe Crane. He's been a labor organizer for almost a decade, and for doctors for at least the last three years. And in June of 2021, he moved across the country to become the national organizing director for the oldest doctors union in the country, the Doctors' Council in New York City. He is a wealth of organization, all about the ins and outs and nuts and bolts of organizing, who we've spent a lot of time talking to and who we asked to join us to share some of his wisdom. So let's have a listen. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you uh, with Wendy and myself here today. Today, we're going to be speaking a little bit about unions. And I think the first thing to do would be just to get a sort of a, a background on you and what you do and uh, fire away. Okay. Well, I'm Joe Crane. I'm the National Organizing Director for the Doctors' Council. And we are the oldest physician union in the country. We are the largest uh, attending physician union in the country. We are affiliated with SEIU, and our sister union is the Committee of Interns and Residents. So um, that's uh, that's who, who we are. We are a, an honest-to-God physicians union, which most physicians do not uh, no exists or they can even join. So, yeah. Well, well that, that, that raises a, an, an even more basic point, which is most physicians probably don't realize they can join, but many physicians probably don't even really know the ins and outs of unions. Can you give us sort of the the elementary <laughs> basic background on what a union is and, and, and why they exist? On a basic level, a union is a bunch of coworkers coming together and advocating the change of their working conditions, ideally for the better, you know. But uh, with a physician's union, it's it's similar. Uh, you know, it's, it's the norm. It's people coming together saying that they have some issues they'd like to change or some things they'd like to keep. And historically, if you start that process, you go down that road, it becomes a, a legal process. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you can negotiate any aspect of your working conditions Okay, virtually any aspect of your working conditions. You can't negotiate your who your CEO is, and you can't negotiate the signage on the side of a building. But outside of that, you can negotiate everything. You know, how long of a shift you have. If you're doing the ED, you know, if you want to do shorter shifts, you could theoretically negotiate shorter shifts. Yeah, obviously, traditionally, when most people think about unions, or they think about pay, you know, pay and benefits, things like pensions. And obviously those are things we can negotiate over. I always tell physicians though, that if that's your number one reason for reaching out to me, um, we're going to have a harder, harder hill to climb than, than the average hill. So, but unionizing gives you that voice, sets a legal process in place and allows you and your colleagues to sit down and negotiate your working conditions. After you have that union in place, people like myself, staffers, uh, and members actively work to enforce those working conditions, and ideally, we approve, improve upon them uh, contract after contract through the years. So, Joe, um, what's your background? Uh, how did you get into organizing, and how did you get into physician organizing? Uh, well, I've been I've been <laughs> organizing now for about eighteen years, and I actually grew up anti-union. I grew up in a house where Reagan was the the greatest president that has ever lived until recently. Uh, the 
previous administration has taken his place. But, um, you know, I, I grew up just with the traditional mindset of, you know, the hard work and, you know, you'll get rewarded for it. And I got into union organizing. That's, that's a longer conversation, but I ended up sticking up for a coworker and it almost cost me my job. And I got disciplined. I got my union involved. And after my union stuck up for me, my, one of my coworkers was like, Hey, why don't you sit at my table and I'll uh, talk to you about this union stuff. And Oh, some days I wish I would have said no, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I wouldn't be uh, working the, the 70, 80 hour weeks I work sometimes, but uh, I sat at her table. She took me under her wing and I've now organized, like I said, for the past 18 years, uh, sometimes off and on, but uh, I've organized thousands of workers. Um, I've factory workers, call center workers, nonprofits, hair salon workers, which I get a kick out of if you see my hairdo. Uh, and most, most recently, for the past four years, I've been organizing physicians and healthcare providers. And it's been interesting. And I could tell you <laughs> when I saw the job posting at my, my previous job, I, I laughed. I'm like a physician's union. I'm like, what like what's what's the point of that you know but uh, i was i was taking some time off between having my first kid and i applied it went over pretty well and i accepted the job and within the first week after talking to about 10 of the members i literally sat down with them i'm like why do you unionize because i was personally on this like mindset like is this something i want to do you know is this helping Mm -hmm. anyone is this going to change anything and that that first week, every conversation, everyone had the same different conversations, but the same answer was, "We unionize, so we could better advocate for our patients." And for me, that was that was the right answer, you know. And it's nothing nothing against physicians, but uh, like I said, if someone calls me up and says, "I'm not making enough money, we need to have a union now," I mean, I, I could theoretically help, but like the public's not going to care. You know, the, the, it's not going to be something that when I'm spending 70 hours a week doing that, it's going to be like, yeah, that was a, that was a good use of my time. You know, like that, that, uh, that surgeon got that, you know, extra 3%, like, thank, thank God that, that that fight is over. But um, so, yeah, I've been doing it for, like I said, for the past four years. I have the privilege with me and my current coworkers are the only uh, union staffers that have taken private sector physicians out on strike in this country. And, you know, it's been an interesting, interesting four years, peeking behind the scenes of healthcare, peeking behind the scenes of behind the curtains with what physicians go through on a day-to-day basis. And some days it's just bad and some days it's terrifying. So, you know, physicians, it's been, it's been something that I think needs to happen. And it's gotten to the point where I'm from the West Coast, I'm from the state of Washington, and I'm now out here in New York City. And I'm with the doctor's council now. I came out here with my family. My, my, co- my co-workers followed me out here because we, we really think the doctor's council is best suited to continue trying to do what we're trying to do. And, you know, organizing physicians, giving physicians a voice. If it's not a fight worth fighting for, I really, really don't know what it is at this point. So, Can you expand on something you just said? You said sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's terrifying. <laughs> Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, so sometimes the conversations when people reach out to me are, you know, 
you wouldn't believe that the way they're treating us. And they go into some policies that they have, or, you know, there's a former MA who's in charge of my department now, and they don't know anything about medicine. And they, they tell some, some bad stories. And other times, and especially with COVID, it has been uh, downright terrifying. I had a conversation with a physician who just broke down crying because there was a patient abandoned in a hospital uh, during COVID. He was a quadruple amputee, and he, he was left because of everything that was happening. I've heard stories of physicians from the physicians themselves, because everyone heard stories, but of physicians who have had uh, their N90, personal N95 mask ripped off their face by hospital administrators. I've uh, one that really, really stuck with me was a uh, doctor called me up and we were talking about policies and, you know, without getting into the specifics, the department manager dictated the care that was given because this is the policy of our, of our organization. And he starts crying at that point and his patient is now 50% paralyzed for the rest of their life because of something that shouldn't have happened because it was dictated by a dollar sign. So, you know, the, the bad days are no one's listening to me. These are potential bad outcomes for the patients. And those, those horrible days are blatant disregard for physician lives and for patient lives. And it's been, it's been an extremely challenging hearing some of these things. And again, I'm, I'm not a doctor. You know, like if you had asked me four years ago, uh, I would have said, you doctors aren't doing it. Why aren't you all doing this? Why, why are you being so mean to all of us? You know, so like, <laughs> like I said, peeking, peeking behind the scenes and being like, this is, this is a big problem. This is a very real problem. And no one's doing anything about it. Or again, from, from the perspective of four years ago of no one, no one's doing anything about this. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that one of the things that physicians said to you was, I want to be able to more successfully advocate for my patients. So can you describe how you would organize to help physicians better advocate for their patients? What do we need to go through to get to that place? To get to that point, and that's the, the hardest hill to climb, you know, traditionally organizing I'm talking to some factory workers. It's like, let's rally around a percent increase of pay so you can pay your rent. But when we're talking about, you know, advocating for patients, it's a bigger conversation and it hurts the company's pocketbooks on a, on a deeper level. So anytime you're taking away, you know, if you want, if a patient, if a, the organization wants a physician to see four or five patients an hour, you know, in, in an urgent care system, great for the bottom line horrific for the patient, you know, horrific for the physician. So when, when you're talking about things like that, advocating, it's literally, I mean, traditionally patient ratios, you know, maybe it should be three an hour, you know, maybe it should be two an hour. What is, what gives the physician enough time to sit down and say, this is, this is what's wrong with you. And this is what needs to be done. So, you know, identifying those issues and then getting the, the physicians to understand the change can happen, you know, getting them to understand that you actually have the power still 
despite, you know, uh, the perception from, you know, most people is, you know, you have the power to sit down and be like, if we don't do this, if we don't see four patients an hour and we decide to say three or, you know what, maybe something is happening with that patient and you've closed that door and you're talking to that patient and it takes an hour. You're the physician. That was your medical judgment. And, you know, getting getting physicians to realize that they could push for the, that right. They can push for those changes. And again, don't get me wrong. These aren't easy. Because you're you're talking that the 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 entire blood flow of the organization is how many widgets do you make, and you know you're fighting against people who view your patients as widgets and your degrees as widget makers. So you know this is a this is a heavy fight. But if you can get people to realize that and get them to come together around these issues with with a well thought out plan in place that you can negotiate, put into a legally binding contract. Yeah, you can make some changes there. What does it look like, that process to get to that legal binding contract? From somebody picking up the phone and saying to you, hey, I want a physician's union at my hospital. The first thing is actually picking up the phone and actually committing to that process. So, you know, reach out to the the doctor's council. And you, you email us, ideally, I mean, people can call me, I don't know if I can give my number or something, but like literally reaching out and having that conversation and then understanding that this is not going to be a quick process. We're talking a very significant change in your working conditions, and it definitely won't happen overnight. But if someone reaches out to us, has that conversation, the first thing I'm doing in that conversation is making sure what we're talking about is something that a union can fix. A union is not a magic wand. You know, you're not going to fix everything that's broken in healthcare. You just, I wish we could, you know, but it's just not going to happen. So we have to identify, is there something that is affecting the physicians that uh, having a union can help with? And and after after that, then then the next step is, okay, great. This is your personal view that this is wrong and this needs to be changed. Does anyone share that view? And and that's, that's where most conversations end. You know, a lot of people are afraid to reach out or go on that next step. Now, if, they, if they're not alone and they're not afraid to reach out and they, they want to talk to some of their colleagues, we start having more conversations. And internally on our end, you know, the staff's doing all the heavy lifting in the union. But, you know, we're, we're tracking these conversations. We're figuring out what these issues are. And again, can they be something that we can be done? And an example of that, I've literally had people call me up and say, we want to get the CEO fired. And again, that's not something that we can negotiate over. So like, you know, it has to be realistic. Or, I mean, uh, we've had two doctors reach out and they were a married couple and they're making over a million dollars and they're like, we need to make more money. And I'm like, even if we can negotiate that, that's just, I'm not putting that on a sign. So, you know, but like, so having those conversations, we started having more conversations with people. And those first conversations are just exploratory. We're just talking to people and being like, What's going on in your world? How is this impacting you? And are you interested in doing something about it? After a certain while, we get to enough yes answers. And we get to enough people who don't just say yes, but they say I'm willing to help, which is which is the other big hurdle at this point. Because there's always people who want to change, but there are, aren't as many people who are willing to help make change happen. So you get to the point where you have enough people. Uh, we start forming what we call an organizing committee. You can call it whatever you want. Call it the super friends. You know, you can call it the, you know, 
positions of the world. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's a, just a group of people who are committed to getting through this process and talking to their colleagues and making sure that they understand we're trying to build something better. We're not trying to burn something down. We're trying to bring the dignity back to the profession, not uh, tear it into the ground. At that point, those people help us have conversations. Now, if this is 100 physicians, staff's going to do a lot, of the, a lot of the heavy lifting because I can get in front of 100 people within a couple months fairly easily. If there's a 1,000 physicians, it gets to be a harder lift. So that organizing committee starts helping a lot in that process and having conversations and talking to people and being like, is this something that you want to do? Because at the end of the day, a union is a majority of people saying enough is enough, and this is something that we're interested in. So we get to that majority status. Now, depending on if you're public sector, if you're private sector, or whatnot, there's a couple different avenues. But the, the general course is you get to an overwhelming majority status of people who say that they're interested in unionization. And then we sign representation cards that start the process. Starting that process, and I'm just going to go through the, the private sector labor board process, because again, 50 different variations and some cities have variations and, and so many laws in this country that don't do anything. But uh, we start the process and we file those cards with the, with the government. They verify through, I would like to say that they're, you know, in-depth things, but the company sends them a list and the, are the names on the list and they check them off. But we only need legally 30% of the workforce to sign a representation card. So if we have 70, 75%, that's not an issue. Um, we, find the, we file for the election. It starts the legal process. We, we have our attorneys getting involved. The companies have their attorneys getting involved. Ideally, we're looking for what's called a stipulated agreement at that point, where we're agreeing with the employer who's eligible to vote, vote on the union. And if we get that stipulated agreement, an election date is set. If we don't get a stipulated agreement, a hearing is set at the National Labor Relations Board. And the best way of viewing this is it's just like a court hearing. You know, there's evidence, there's rules for admitting it, and that entire process. And again, this this is the time of my my job where I'm working potentially 100 plus hours. So like it's there's there's timelines. It's happening fast. Everything's moving. But either we get to that election hearing and we get an election date, or we have that stipulated agreement and we get to an election date. And at that election date, you all are voting yes or no on the union. And, you know, during that time, the company is trying to tell you how great they are and how sorry they are that they've treated you poorly. Um, my favorite thing is they, they, will, they have bribed physicians. In the last four years, I have not seen so many carrots in my entire union career. It's, it's normally been Stick's approach to uh, unionization. And with physicians, they're like, they, they would like rolling out the red carpet for you all. So, but like the union, the company will go around saying that uh, they're great and amazing. Uh, ideally, the union has its message in place, and you know that organizing committee I was talking to is making sure its coworkers are sticking together, making sure this is something that still matters. We get to the election, fifty percent plus one wins the election. If we win the election, we are starting to negotiate a contract. And when I say contract, it, it's. It's different than your individual contracts that most physicians have. It's, it's a collective bargaining agreement that is going to supersede that individual contract. But, you know, physicians will be on that bargaining team. They will be 
very heavily involved in the process. In fact, I never turned away anyone from wanting to be involved because the more people who are giving input, the, the stronger the agreement is. But then, then we fight for a first contract. Uh, the average timeline for a first contract right now is 18 months. And that's not quick. It's stressful. It is um, a lot of lot of room for uh, hurt feelings involved. You know, sometimes people, if the OBGYNs get more than the hospitalists, there's, you know, the, the 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 daggers come out and people get upset over that process. So you know, it's like so if people aren't involved, it, it can be a stressful thing. But if we get to that first collective bargaining agreement which is the actual end game goal of that first conversation. Ideally it's made some changes that have made that previous time, all those previous uh, hours and, and meetings and efforts put into place worth it. And then from there, we're going to be building off of that. But at that point you have a legally enforceable agreement in place. And I just want to stress that it is, it is similar to workplace contracts, but as in the COVID situation, I literally saw companies send emails to their physicians and be like, this is your new contract. You have 48 hours to sign it. And that does not work in the union world. Uh, when I was, I was working there, we got an email from the employer and they were like, we wanna, we're going to slash CME across the entire system from 4,000 to 1,000 and we're going to furlough people. My response was Section 7, Article 1, and Section 10, Point 4, which was, um, you shall be paid regardless of hours worked, uh, and CME is this much money, and there's no process to cut it. So out of the entire system and the largest employer in the state of Washington, only the union members were able to keep their salary and to keep their CME. So again, it's similar to your, your contracts you have now, but... I mean, if a company gets mad at me because I, I didn't sign the new one, I'm not going to lose any sleep. So, you know. This is probably very, very, very different for people who are on at-will contracts. I don't know if you even call them contracts, but at-will employees, right? Yes, yes. So that, that is uh, definitely one of the big differences. You know, every everyone, even with a lot of the contracts I see, you're at will. Like they might have to give you notification that they're terminating you. And I have yet to see a, a physician contract that you don't have to give notification that you're quitting, but they can still end your employment with or without cause. Again, I, I don't think I have seen it, and I've seen a lot now, but I don't think I've seen an agreement where the physicians can't have their employment ended because they're no longer liked. And within a union contract, if you negotiate just cause protection, and I have to say if because you're going to have to fight for this because this is one of those big changes that employers do not want. If you negotiate just cause protection, they have to have a justifiable reason to discipline and terminate you. Mm -hmm. And that is, you don't know how much of a, of a game changer that is until you have that in place. And I was talking to a physician a couple nights ago, and he was like, is this conversation, you know, secret? And I'm like, of course it is. And he's like, because, you know, they'll fire me if, if uh, you know, if they know about this. And I'm like, well, you know, that, that sucks. And then he was like, well, you know what? That's probably a good reason that we're talking, because if I feel that way, maybe, uh, maybe that's a sign of the problem. But not having to worry about using your voice at work is the most important thing. And I can't stress that enough. Like, it doesn't matter what your what your contract says about how much you're going to get paid or, you know, what your hours you're going to work is. If you don't feel comfortable saying this isn't right, you don't have a voice. 
So, you know, having that just cause protection changes that process. And it is, I mean, I, I always tell physicians, I just tell people when I'm unionizing them, and, you know, I don't care what you want. I don't mean that as like a, an offensive you know, way. It's just what you change, what you negotiate is not personally going to impact me. You know, if you want to work 12 hours a day for 10 days straight, cool, let's do that. I'll, I'll, my job is to amplify your voice. But I always tell people, I will, I will fight and I will, I will go kicking and screaming. I will advocate for just cause protection because it is the most powerful thing that you can do to really give yourself that voice so you can enforce your own contract, you can stand up for your own colleagues, you can stand up for the nurses who might be being pushed around or the support staff are being pushed around. Having that protection and having that ability to not have your voice waver because you know you have those protections is, um, in my personal opinion, the most valuable thing in the union. So Joe, to play devil's advocate for a second, what can go wrong? What are the downsides to a union? Because, you know, there are obviously some things that help people. But what are the downsides? Downsides, you know, one of the, the biggest things, well, well, actually, let's go that back. The, the biggest downside people see when they talk about unionization is, can I get fired from this, the, this initial conversation? You know, if I go through this process, can I get fired? And, well, yeah, you can. And you can't legally get fired. You can't, you know, ethically get fired and, and all these other things. But if if someone finds out that, you know, you're trying to take away their power, it could potentially go bad. It doesn't, I haven't seen it happen with physicians yet. And I've been doing physicians for four years now, but I've seen it happen with factory workers. I've seen it happen with salon workers, you know, and, and the union fights. You know, we've gotten some people their jobs back and some people... Some people did some stupid things, and even even though they were obviously targeted, they gave the company a reason to get terminated. So you know, it's not like we can we can undo that. So there there is that fear of that is is real. It's rare, but it does happen. I do everything I can to try and uh, limit that risk. But I always tell people like that physician who came to the conclusion himself: like if you are so afraid of making your workplace better that you're going to be terminated. I mean, if that's not that's not a symptom of why that you need this, then I don't know what it is. Other other downsides though is and, and I've, I've already said this, but unions aren't a magic wand. And no matter what we do, no matter what we do, someone will not be happy. Like it is, it is the nature of of this process because it's it's democracy. Someone's not gonna get what they wanted. And someone is going to have to compromise on what they want. So, and, you know, that doesn't you know, necessarily sound like the worst thing, but like sometimes the issue that you called up the union for, your personal big complaint at that last minute falls to the wayside because the majority of people are like, let's do this instead. And that's, that is, that is a real frustration. And, you know, I can, I mean, but again, that's not the worst. Some of the other downsides, and one of the biggest downsides I actually see to unions in general is that they're a democracy. And uh, what I mean by that is the power is, is in the group. And people sometimes don't make the best decisions. So, you know, like it's... Maybe you have something that's really important and you, you're, you want to advocate for a strong 
legally binding, you know, committee process where physicians have a, a say and it has to be, I mean, whatever, you know, something really game changing that you want to fight. And the employer turns around and says, well, double your vacation and 7% raise. Or a signing bonus, which again, it's a little harder to give signing bonuses to bribe physicians, but you know, something along those lines. And then people are like, okay, it's good enough. Let's take it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like that, that democracy is a double-edged sword. And, you know, you can see this, I think it was the, the John Deere factory recently. Um, they voted to accept, no, no, it was the, the, the Hollywood workers, support staff workers. They voted to accept a contract at like 51%. So that means 49% of those workers are not happy right now, you know? So like that one of the, one of the downsides is that the other, the other big downside is, and again, it's, it's unions are people, but sometimes union leadership is bad. Sometimes the people who are on those negotiation committees are bad because the other people don't want to get involved. So, I mean, you know, sometimes that just meet, leads to a, a crappy agreement and sometimes that leads to corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we are we are a nonprofit, but, you know, nonprofits are, are full of people and people make bad decisions. So if you're not owning this organization, you're not owning the process. If you think Joe Crane is the union, you're going to have a bad union and nothing that I'm personally going to do. I'm going to advocate everything I can. But if you aren't willing to commit to owning this process, empowering this process, and overseeing this process, um, the downsides are our, our current political system. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a really fair point that it's not something where you sign the union card, pay your dues, and walk away. It's something where you have to be part of the decision and part of the advocacy for what you need to have changed. And it may be different in New York than it is in Seattle, than it is in Alabama, than it is in Maine. And so it, it depends on what your local needs are. Exactly. And, you know, one of the reasons I actually I came to this organization, we already have a nationwide presence. And, but one of the other things is our executive board is one of the most democratically functioning executive boards I've ever seen. And, you know, a lot of unions and again, downsides of unions are. You know, you look at, I don't want to, I almost said a, a union. All unions are great and amazing. Uh, whoever comes up to my my, my support lines are, are amazing. Um, but outside of the reality of life, um, some unions set up their their politics, you know, their, their bylaws and their constitutions to hold power internally, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, it's, again, the problem are, are the people. But with, with the doctor's council, like, if you if you unionize, we, we have a ratio for uh, delegates in our executive board, and like literally, if you if it's one, I think one to eleven, you have a seat on that executive board. Your group doesn't matter that you know this group, the state of New York, is is larger than you. You have a you have a, a seat, and we have a formula in place for literally every you know like fifty or so increases. It's another seat at that voting power of the union so like you know and and people can come and you know, participate in that process but again you know unions are are full of people and people people don't suck but some people do so so to, to, with that with that in mind or maybe without that in mind you know people sometimes flippantly say to wendy and me you know well the the fix to this problem is to unionize and it's almost a sort of a flippant throwaway thing hey, we should just unionize what should doctors 
know when they say that? The biggest thing they need to know, and I've said this a couple of times, well, one of the biggest things, it won't fix everything. Yeah. You know, it is, it is a process that takes a long time. And, and it takes a long time because employers are heavily invested in making this process take as long as possible and be as stressful as possible. So when you're, when you're talking about unionization for physicians, this isn't, do I need to call up Joe Crane and say I'm on board? Don't get me wrong. That's the reality of the world. That's where a lot of people are going to fall. But if everyone calls me up and says, I'm on board, let me know when it's done, this isn't going to make any kind of change. You know, and if we're talking about, we're talking about the big changes, you know, we're talking about, like I said, decreasing, decreasing patient panel size, which is so, so impactful to a bottom line, but also to the quality of care being able to be given. And I, I was organizing a group and the employer found out that people were talking about unionizing and they gave a, they took away the 10% withhold on the physician salary based on the press gaming scores, just because I flew out there. Um, literally the threat of unionization was like, here's your, here's your money back. We should have never taken this. Uh, we realize it's wrong now. And at the bottom of the, this very insincere letter was, oh, and by the way, we hear you're trying to unionize. You, you don't want to do that. But one of the, one of the conversations I, you know, I was in a room with physicians and I had this and I was like, is this going to stop it? Is this, is this it? You know, does this, is this the hill that we're, we're dying on this 10% by it? One of the doctors, you know, I just, he was in the, in the corner. He like, he slams his hand on the table and he's like, they don't get it. It's not about the damn money. He's like, every single time I decide to look into a patient's chart, when I'm at home, he's like, I'm not spending time with my kids. I, every single time I decide to go to my kid's basketball game, I'm not looking into my patient's chart. And he's like, this isn't about 10% more. It's, it's like, it's about not killing somebody. And so when you're talking about that kind of fight, you know, when you're talking about how much money these organizations make, no company wants their workforce to unionize because it's a power exchange. But I have, I have been in, impressed with the sheer level of uh, desperation from employers about physicians unionizing, and I've just the the basic basic changes that don't make sense because they do not want you all to unionize in mass because you guys you, you all make them so much money. And I, I, I know they're non-for-profits or not-profits or, you know, whatever they want to pretend they are. But, like, they, they will fight and they will do everything they can to try and stop this. Because if it starts big, you know, if, if we can organize a, a thousand-plus bed hospital somewhere and we can make some kind of change, they know what's going to happen. It's going to happen with, it's gonna happen with the nurses. It's what happened with teachers across the country. There's going to be a power shift. And again, it's not going to be everything, but like they can no longer say, eh, sign this new contract because times are rough. You know, they're no longer going to be able to say, hey, I don't care how many uh, initials you have after your name. I'm the boss and you're supposed to listen to what I say. And so, you know, any time a physician, if they, they have to realize the scope of what we are trying to actually do, 
and then realize that it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be easy. But if we don't do it, you know, as a patient, as a father of three kids, and as it, I have heard very large corporations, healthcare corporations, describe my kids, my parents, myself as a widget. And we have to, we have to win this fight, you know, and I don't know what unionizing physicians are going to do, you know, it, on, on, a, on a lower level, if we organize a hospital, it's going to make changes at that hospital, but that's not going to be enough. So we're going to have to organize a couple hospitals and then spread out and then be, be, become a bigger power in any state that we're talking about. But on a national level, we have to do this on a national level. I want. I would love to get to the point where we're sitting around, things are so good that all the physicians are like, "What's the doctors' council doing for us? Everything's great. <laughs> we, I just go and I do all these things, and I don't even really worry about that." Because, and I, I'm not kidding. That is my my my, my honest to God goal. Because my my first union job, I was like, "What's this union doing for me? This is this is. This, I have all these great benefits. I had a house built on six acres when I was twenty three year old. I don't need a stupid union. Wow. Turns out I did. So, but I mean, like, like I said, for, for me, if, if physicians realize this and, and understand that um, the fight that we're trying to fight is, it's even bigger than themselves and it's even bigger than their employers and understand that this is a hard fight. And again, sorry for my very long winded answers. Joe, it sounds like you came to realize how important the unions were because they had your back and that you're trying to bring that to physicians. You know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of different perceptions of what a, what a union really is. And, and again, you know, I, I remember when I, when I first heard this, this job I had this, uh, was union. I honestly almost, almost quit. I was like, no, no, unions aren't for me. And at the end of the day, all a union is, is you and your coworkers and you and your colleagues standing up together and trying to have a better tomorrow than you had today. And it's not about protecting bad employees. It's not even about, you know, I mean, it is about you know, negotiating working conditions, but it's like, it's not like, well, if we don't get that 3%, what's the union doing? It's, it's really about knowing that you, you can do what you love to do and you can focus in on what you love to do. And I really do hope, and from my personal experience interacting with physicians, the overwhelming majority of them are like, I honestly really want to help my patients. So like if if we can empower them and get them to realize that this isn't, you know, this isn't beneath them. It isn't beneath the white coats to stand together and say, these are our patients. We can we can definitely make changes. But yeah, it this is this is for physicians to realize that, well. If COVID hasn't hasn't shown the light that the employers do not respect them, I do not know what will, but that this is about standing up for your patients. It's about standing up for your colleagues. It's about standing up for, you know, the support staff that you work with day in and day out. And I wish if someone has a better way of, of solving this problem, let me know. But We've physicians are really, really good at starting another group uh, with a more professional approach to politely asking the boss to stop hitting them. So uh, it's time to time to group up and take your patients back, take your profession back, and you know, I'm, I'm just on a selfish note, do it for my kids. 
you know, do it, do it for your kids, do it for the next generation that's coming along because it's getting bad out there. Joe, thank you so much for being here today. It was I really appreciate your insights. And I know that we only skimmed the surface. Um, you and I have had some really detailed conversations, so we'll stay in touch for sure. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Of course. So it was very helpful to, to hear that from Joe. And I think one of the most fascinating parts for me is that Joe is a non-physician. And Joe sees this not only from the perspective of a union organizer and somebody who uh, represents physicians, but also from the point of view of his own family. That was the thing that struck me when I first talked with him. He didn't just get it from his organizer perspective. He understood the challenges that physicians face from a sort of visceral level. Mm -hmm. This is how it's going to affect my family. And this is how frustrated physicians are not being able to provide the care that they'd like to provide. Right. I think another very important point that he made is the idea that this is there's, there's nothing magic about a union and that there are downsides to it, particularly the idea that it's, of course, not going to fix everything, but also the challenges with a democratic organization. And it was, of course, one of the reasons we wanted to have somebody on the podcast who could talk about this, because I think it is often seen as a panacea to have a union. Yeah. And, and the other corollary to that is also... It's not just signing a card and saying, okay, I'm, yeah, I want in. We actually, physicians have to take ownership of what mm -hmm. they want. And it means investing time and effort in making sure that we're advocating for the things we want. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as always, thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. To learn more about the nonprofit Moral Injury of Healthcare, you can go to our website at fixmoralinjury.org. If you'd like to support future episodes of the podcast or any of the work we do, you can make a donation while you're there. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram links are in the show notes as are Joe Crane's details. You can continue the conversation there and you can help spread the word by sharing episodes with friends and colleagues. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review the show, it makes it easier for other listeners to find us. Thanks for listening. And stay well.